This call is being recorded. If you do not wish to be recorded, please disconnect at this time. All right, well, here we are once again with the Exhale Heart and Chart Investing Podcast Conversation, uh, sponsored by Tricord Investment Advisors. I'm Larry McDonald, and we uh, you got a big treat in, in front of you today, gang. I am just saying that... That, that this is a strap in and, and, and listen hard and get ready to hear some things that, uh, if you, of course, if you're one of my clients, you, you hear this from me all the time, but if you're not, this is going to be the kind of stuff that can really be a game changer for you. I'm just going to tell you. So the conversation I'm going to have today is, is with Mike Kane and he is, um, the founder of Hedgeable Inks, one of my, uh, sub-advisors that I use, a kindred spirit to say the least. And, uh, you know, these guys have been part of what I've been doing since the spring of 2014. And they're a great complement to what I do. Um, and, and, and it gives me a perspective that's just awesome as I do what I do and for us to do the overall portfolio management. So, you know, it, it, we're going to get in a conversation. We're probably going to go all sorts of places. And so really before I introduce Mike and before I have him come on the line, I thought what I would do is read to you. And I'm going to put this resource out on the podcast, on the website, uh, under additional resources. You're going to be able to see this and you're going to be able to follow up on it after this conversation uh, if you like. But let me just read this to you because I don't want to miss any of these points. And he and I might get off on something and it'll be all good, but I want to make sure you hear it. Hedgeable is a national independent asset management firm based in New York City. They have revolutionized the asset management industry with their next generation risk-managed investing products and disruptive investment technology. I love that statement. Disruptive Investment Technology. The meaning of our name is simple. We believe any portfolio can be hedged and protected from the tremendous losses that were seen during the financial crisis. This can be done without the use of derivatives, shorting, or leverage. Big points right there. Nothing fancy, you know, but this bottom line is we need to hedge. It's so important. And so I'm going to share their philosophy with you. All right. And again, Mike's going to elaborate more on this, but I just want to make sure this gets out in its entirety. Hedgeable's investment philosophy philosophy is built for a post-financial crisis world, which is basically now in the future. All right. We're just going to be faced with more and more of it. Investors must be able to capture most of a market's upside while eliminating most of the downside. And, you know, memorize that right there. Memorize it. It's so important. Long-term account growth through a full market cycle can only be achieved by limiting max drawdowns, daily volatility, market beta, and correlations. Studies show limiting downside is the biggest thing that most of you are concerned about when you invest. And I find it all the time. So that's what these guys do. That's who they are. And here's another real big treat, guys. You're going to talk to the guy. You're going to hear from the guy today. If you own a mutual fund, I will guarantee you that you have never, ever heard from anybody that punches the button. But today, it's a rare treat, and you're going to be able to hear from the guys that actually punch the button and have an effect, if you're one of my clients, on exactly what happens in your portfolio. So with all that high bar stuff being raised, Mike, I'm going to introduce you to the gang. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Larry. Thanks so much for having me. Pleasure. Oh, man. 
Yeah, I, I've been big time excited about about getting you here and and letting everybody hear from you and your perspective. Uh, this is the kind of guy you just want to sit at their feet, gang. So, um, you know, we're 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 privileged to have you, and we're so thankful. So, awesome. uh, thank you so much. So I think to start the story is uh, one thing I want to know right up front, and if anybody goes to their website, you're going to see this. Tell me, uh, what's the deal with the ninja thing, man? You know, what's what's that? <laughs> Mike's the chief actually, ninja, by the I'm way. Actually the, I'm actually the master sensei. Master uh, so sensei. We, okay. Yes, I'm the master sensei. We, uh, <laughs> so if you, if you look back, and, and you were describing our philosophy uh, very eloquently, um, we really buy into uh, the Japanese branding and Japanese culture. And if you look at our website, our marketing materials, it's really what we're trying to do um, is if you look back in Japanese culture, uh, much of it is centered around, you know, sticking up for the little guy, you know, and that's really what we do is, you know, just like uh, Seven Samurai, I'm looking at the poster right behind me. Oh, I love that movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. that movie. And, uh, yeah. and obviously they just remade that uh, with Chris Pratt and Denzel Washington. It came out a few weeks ago, uh, Magnificent Seven remake. Magnificent Seven, um, man. That's my favorite movies. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's a great movie, and it's really what we try to do is, um, you know, we, as you mentioned, worked in the institutional space. Uh, I worked at Bridgewater, so now everyone knows them. Back, back in the day when I was there, uh, the biggest hedge fund in the world for your listeners. Um, all of our clients were big institutions, foreign governments, uh, big pension plans, uh, et cetera. Um, so I'd always worked in the institutional space, and when we started Hedgeball after the financial crisis, we said, well, this is ridiculous. Why don't... Why don't we help everyone else like me and my family and, and my friends and neighbors? And that's why we like the Japanese branding because it's really about uh, Hedgeable, you know, helping the, the retail investor and, and not necessarily the institutional investor. Uh, so we just run with it. We have Master Sensei, we have Chief Ninja, we have Tech Shoguns and all kinds of Japanese <laughs> I love it, branding. Man. So, yeah. I love it. See, that just keeps your, you know, that, there's your why right in front of you all the time. You know, yep. it's what keeps you focused. I love that. And, you know, that, that analogy and, and that philosophy. So good stuff. I, I had to ask you about that because I thought it was really cool. No, no problem. <laughs> Thanks so much. Jeff. And if anyone comes to our office, we'll see we have uh, this all over the office. We call it our dojo, not our office. Okay. All right. Great. Great, great, great. I love it. That's great stuff. So, well, you know, the other, the other thing that that brings to mind, that whole philosophy, that whole way of looking at things, too, you think of, of words like sages. You think of words like wisdom. You think of words like poise, you know. And, you know, in the investing realm, one of the things that I desperately like to try to teach all the time is for people to develop of greater investing poise, you know, and, and that has to come with education and also come with, with, with aha moments and knowledge. And also it allows them to exhale, you know, they can relax and live life. And so I think, uh, you know, what you guys are doing, uh, just, just contributes to that so well. So that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. We, we think, think it's really important, um, for clients to have a a long-term view in the market, but, you know, in in the short term, as you alluded to, we we believe very strongly in risk management and protecting it against downside. So when you have those bumps on the road, you know they're not massive bumps, and you know you're not getting flat tires, and uh, you don't have to change your tire. You know you're, you're going to be very small speed bumps along the way, and try to minimize those. So 
that you, you're on your way to your journey. Um, so that's really what we also try to preach to clients uh, and why we believe very strongly in education, transparency, um, and uh, you know, really making this kind of research and resources and tools uh, democratized in the market. Um, so uh, as I said, just retail clients, you know, we don't have any institutional clients that uh, you know, would use the platform. Yeah, and then of course you provide, you know, your services through guys like, you know, platforms that I can have access to that I can get that out and and have it come to bear into my portfolios, which is really a That's great right. thing. That's right. That's right. Yeah, where traditionally you know, firms like ours would only sell to really huge institutions and people are paying them tons of money and uh, hedge funds and family offices and you know we. We have clients like yourself all over the country, so both direct and uh, uh, through uh, advisors like yourself that do a great job, you know, boots on the ground that uh, can help clients with other things like financial planning and tax planning, et cetera. Yeah, and I just want everybody to, to, to just realize and acknowledge, you know, yes, you know, uh, I use Hedgeable, and they're a great part of my story and, and what I do, but that the platform is available on the retail side. And if, if you're not working with me, you're not working with advisor, and you feel comfortable enough you know, in, in that realm, uh, more power to you. But I still absolutely would recommend uh, that you take a look at these guys. And I'll have a link out there again on the additional resources where if you want to go out and take a look and kick the tires a little bit with, with Hedgeable, you are more than welcome uh, to do that. So, um, so let's talk maybe a little bit about you know, your processes. I mean, when you, what you guys do, what do you really just do up there? I mean, what is your, you know, what's your approach toward punching the button? Sure. Uh, so we're a technology firm at the core. Um, so what we've developed is about 100 core technology systems that will uh, automate many of the investing decision processes that an institutional firm like Bridgewater or, or like a PIMCO or BlackRock might offer to, to really big clients. Um, so, for example, we have proprietary uh, investment portfolio construction technology that we use um, and also a proprietary rebalancing technology. So um, you were reading from one of our fact sheets earlier in the podcast. Um, we use this rebalancing technology to try to limit losses in portfolios for clients. Um, and this is an all-automated process, rules-based. Um, you know, we provide all the, the baseline of the rules, so it's very transparent to clients, where traditionally, if you went to one of these institutional managers, um, you might get a fact sheet every quarter, every year, say, here's all the trades we're doing. Um, it's not really based off anything, maybe the portfolio manager's views on the market, where we're doing everything based on rules and on market conditions. Um, so it's all technology-based and all, all rules-based. So it makes for non-emotional investing. Yeah, that's, you know, that, that is so important. Now, and, and then again, lest anybody think that, you know, the computers are controlling, you know, the deal and the world. Let's talk about an example. It's a beautiful example um, of, of the built-in flexibility as well, that there's still a Mike Kane, you know, with gray matter between his ears that's watching this stuff, that's paying attention, that's making some calls that are a little, you know, off the norm. And, 
probably the best recent example, of course, is Brexit. And the story there is the day before the Brexit um, vote, you know, that, that day, uh, I noticed, I get a notice every time, you know, you guys make a change. Um, and I noticed that there was a very significant change to one of the models that, that I use. I mean, literally, the model went to half cash. Now, that's a very unusual day-to-day -day change. And so I said, wow, okay. Um, gee, let me call up and just find out what's going on. So I called up there and chatted with, with, with one of the guys up there at your firm. And, and here's where the beauty, I think, even more in the story is this. There was a one-off event coming up the next day. You know, that was not business as usual or even business not quite so usual, where some prudence, some common sense thinking, and some hedging the downside to possibilities came into play, and you guys made a one-off call that I so appreciated when I heard that and the reason why you were doing it and the upside, downside risk versus upside potential was just so much more. And, and you made that kind of change. And I think people ought to feel so good about the fact that no matter what the numbers are crunching, you're still involved keeping an eye on the landscape to make those kind of one-off calls. What was going through your mind during that, and, and how, how does that fit into your philosophy? Sure. It's a great example, Larry. Um, so we, so we, we manage many different kinds of portfolios, so uh, mostly ETFs and big stocks, which – as you mentioned, makes it very easy for us to move out of the market. So an example was the Brexit. Um, you know, in the months leading up to the Brexit, there was very, very big risk in many international markets, but not in the U.S. market. Um, so our technology looks at all the securities and makes a decision based on that risk that it's not worth the downside for us to be invested in many of these international ETFs and stocks. So we had held a portion of that in cash. Um, but in the, the days running up to the Brexit, it looked more and more likely that the market was pricing in that there wouldn't be a Brexit. So we look at all of that data as well. And because the market in the U.S. wasn't pricing that in, we're like, well, from our uh, background at Bridgewater and other firms, even if there's a 1% chance that the Brexit happens and people are wrong on Wall Street, you're going to see a huge loss in the market, and that's exactly right. what happens. Exactly. So that, that's, the, that's the determination we make. It's not worth it for the end client to lose 10%, which is what the international markets went down, in one day, uh, just by us making a very simple change and moving some of the position. So when you mentioned our fact sheet said every portfolio is hedgeable, this is what we're talking about. Nothing complicated, right. nothing risky, just holding more cash during uncertainty, is much better than having a, a, an investment in the stock market during that uncertain time when you're really exposed to the market. Um, and that's uh, why we have an overlay of some human you know, oversight here on the technology, because there's no way technology wouldn't be able to make that determination. Absolutely, yes. And that's, you know, that, that is so valuable. You know, that, that not knee-jerk, not emotional, very, you know, very pragmatic and, and just doing the right thing. I can't, I don't know how else to coin it, but that's, that's the kind of stuff there that, that makes a big difference in the long run when you can apply that kind of perspective over the long haul 
to managing a portfolio. And I, and I, and I so appreciate that and that what you guys bring to the table in, in that regard, big time. So, uh, you know, it, it's, it's good stuff. Um, no, thank so, you. Yeah, yeah, man. I mean, and again, did everybody hear? I mean, I hope you replay that. Replay what he just said, everybody. Okay, listen to the his philosophy and the, just the commonsensical, you know, idea there that the upside is is so small versus what the downside potential is. That makes a difference, and we need to hedge against it. You know, so um, so that's awesome. So yeah. you got yeah, a technical it's important. Yeah, it's important to note as well that, um, you know, we do and we believe in, in a dynamic way of, of hedging. Um, you know, it, it may not always be necessary to hedge a portfolio in this way. Um, you know, when very, very low risk times when you want to try to capture that upside. Um, it's really in the, the more risky times, and you'll mm-hmm. notice when the market, when your readers, when, uh, when your listeners, when they see that a lot of bad news about the market, um, that's when there's a lot of bad, high risk in the market, when you see bad news. The good news doesn't cause risk in the market. So you know, it's really <laughs> during that, the good times, unfortunately. Right. During yeah. the good times, uh, it's really when you want to try to be as fully invested as possible. So we, we have a very, um, like I said, rules-based, uh, flexible and dynamic way of, of allocating the capital. Right. Right. And, and so while we're on that word dynamic, so if people were to go to your site and they were to see that you have some, some of your models, if you will, your allocations that are called dynamic, uh, some of them are called tactical. And maybe just to educate everybody a little bit on what the difference there is as you, as you begin to manage, you know, uh, a, a basket or a, a, some holdings, whether it's stocks or whether it's ETFs, as you mentioned. Um, tell me about your guys' philosophy a little bit about uh, those two things. Sure. Um, so if you, if you take a step back, um, you know, before you start managing a portfolio, you, you need to first construct the portfolio. So you know, we do a, a portfolio construction process that's tied to benchmarks. So let's say that benchmark is a target date or a diversified benchmark for a young customer. So to me, an aggressive diversified portfolio, of, you know, U.S., international stocks, fixed income, et cetera. So, you know, if you have your baseline portfolio, that's what you would call a, a long-term or strategic weight or strategic asset allocation. What a, a tactical asset allocation would be is uh, that you would change those weights of, of those securities. Mm-hmm. Um, what a dynamic asset allocation would be is that you're changing those weights based off of market risk. So you could be anywhere from 0% invested to 100% invested. Where the right. tactical would overlay on top of that, not only are you 0% or 100% invested, you might now not even be in a diversified asset allocation. You might have moved to a, a Apple you know, a technology stock uh, portfolio or mm-hmm. utilities, depending on what sectors are doing better. So a tactical way of managing money is, is more granular. It's looking at individual security selection, where dynamic is really just looking at the risk weighting of the security. Um, so we offer both. Um, a, a dynamic system is really pertinent to a core piece, we believe, of a portfolio. So uh, it, it's a big bucket that you're allocating to. Where the tactical 
is a little more uh, turnover and security selection, we consider those more satellite cases. So a large cap bucket or a small cap bucket or emerging market bucket of a portfolio where you could only allocate to certain parts of emerging markets or certain parts of large cap or certain parts of small cap, et cetera. Right, right. And now see, because that couples with my philosophy, what I, what I use you guys for is the dynamic core side. And I provide through what I actively manage on my end, the more tactical, but it's still the same philosophy. It's still the same, you know, it's still the same way to bring good diversification that can, that can meet market conditions and be flexible, dance with the market. If you want to call it that, uh, ride the wave, which is my philosophy that we're just going to, you know, we're, we're going to, going to take what the market gives us and, and, and be smart about it. <laughs> you know, and not put our head in the yeah. sand and not just, you know, you know, buy and hope, right? If you, you heard that lots. So, um, you know, I'm hoping that as you guys are here in this conversation that some, you know, some bells are going off that says, wow, that makes sense. Gee, that, that, that makes sense to do that. Wow. Okay. You know, uh, you know, but it, the, you're not going to hear this from mainstream media. You're not going to hear it probably from your broker or from a mutual fund or from, you know, uh, it, that's not the philosophy. And this is, you know, understand the difference here. This is this is a big deal. Uh, it matters and it can make a huge difference um, as to what's going on. So, um, you know, this is just, this is cutting edge stuff that I think everybody needs to be plugged into for the future, man. And everybody includes everybody, right? <laughs> Much no, as we like to get the yeah. message out. No matter how young, how old, and uh, it doesn't matter. You know, we have clients who have million dollar accounts and dollar accounts at this point, and pension right. accounts and non-pension accounts, saving you know people in retirement. So yes, it, it should be a philosophy. We believe that everyone. Um, it binds into you know the buy and hold and hope. Uh, there there may be a place for that, and that place is really only when you have to hope the market goes up. Because um, you know when the market goes down is really when these uh, investors that have been really tricked into to doing this and you know low fee, low fee, low fee, or now a lot of products are almost zero fee and right. passive, passive, passive. That only works when the market's going up. So. Yes, if, if you could guarantee to all of our clients and your clients the market will go up every year, year over year, it's a great philosophy. We would do it. I'm sure you would do it too. Sure. But we just don't know. And because we don't have that crystal ball, that's why we, we really feel it's important to do this stuff. And, and why, you know, if we were offering it to our clients at Bridgewater, and those are big, big institutional, very sophisticated, smart investors, why doesn't everyone else get it? And that's really why we feel it's important to uh, – to educate people that you know, this is how all the really wealthy people are investing, and it should be how you invest too. Amen. You know, and you mentioned you know if all across the spectrum. One of the things that just chaffs me more than anything else is for somebody to learn that because they're 30 or 35, they can take a 40 or 50 percent hit to their portfolio because they got time to make it up. You know. Yes, uh, we, we we agree. It's very bothersome. Uh, how they, people, unfortunately, it's not their, you know, their fault. Um, right. It, this isn't a matter of ignorance. It's the bad education in the market. Uh, there's all kinds of calculators and 
grasp. A lot of firms we compete with on the retail side will have 30 to 50-year growth graphs on their site. But as you know, for a client, you know, 30 to 50 years, someone like me, that's so far down the line. How about two years from now or three years from now? You know, that's where, you, you know, 2008, you're really hit in the gut during that time. You lost 50 to 60% most retail clients. Very difficult to climb back from that. You might over 30 years, but what in the next 10 years? Um, why should you have to go through that? Uh, and uh, we think it's ridiculous, unfortunately, yeah. and, and we're trying to change that in the market. Yeah, I agree. Hello. <laughs> we just got to get this message out because timing is everything. And, you know, you just absolutely have no idea what the market's going to do over a period of time even that, you know, yes, we had a ridiculous rebound from 2008 into 2009, but you know, it's only because the, you know, the Fed has thrown so much money at the equation and the interest rates are so low. I mean, you know, it could take 20, 30 years for a 50% drawdown to, to, to and, and now where are you? You know, I mean, it, it makes no sense at all. And so, you know, we need to keep ringing this bell and shouting it from the rooftops. Man. You know, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's yeah. crazy. And then the big, a bigger problem on top of that. Many investors have made back the money that they lost in 2008. Uh, unfortunately, it, it really lulls people into a bit of a, of a slumber, sleep here, the thinking, oh, okay, sure. I made all my money back, then oh, no big deal. If the market goes down again, another 50%, I'll just make it right back. And that's the unfortunate, really unfortunate part of the education. That's a huge, huge assumption. Who knows, in Japan, in the 70s and 80s, as you know, uh, the market was booming. If you invested $1 in Japan in 1990, it's only worth about 65 cents on the dollar right now. And that's 20, 25 years plus later. 1990, right. That's oh, yeah. 25 years. They had no, no growth on that dollar. In between them, yes. In, in some years, you would have made money, not made money. But you have a whole generation in Japan who's now retiring with very little savings, and they have to rely on the government uh, and pension. What a great example. And, and so goes Japan, you know, so goes America here in many respects is the way that our, you know, monetary policy, uh, you know, that, that we have adopted over the last several years. And if we're not careful, we're going to blink and be in exactly the same malaise. Um, and, Nobody can afford that. I mean, whether or not you've been able to protect your individual portfolio, if the society as a whole goes that way, you know, uh, the whole population's in, you know, in, in trouble in general. Yeah, so, unfortunately. And we see this now with uh, negative interest rates right. throughout Europe. And it wouldn't surprise us, and this is a personal opinion, not a company opinion, uh, it uh -huh. wouldn't surprise me if we have negative interest rates in the U.S., in the next five to ten years. Doesn't that just make you shake your head? I mean, I just, I almost don't have, you know, words for that, that, that adequately describe my disgust at thinking that now we trade bonds like stocks. Because that's the only reason you yes. buy a bond with a negative interest rate. You sure hope the interest rate is going to keep going down. <laughs> I mean, it's... Absolutely. It's, 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 well, it's there's, there's just a general disconnect the problem we, we run into in the last few decades, the general disconnect, uh, as your 
listeners will know, between the economy and the stock market. You know, right. They really have become so separated. They have nothing to do with each other. Um, it's never been proven that interest rate changes create jobs. And unfortunately, we've gotten ourselves in such a big hole with, with jobs that the Fed has had no choice but to uh, keep interest rates down for the, the hope that there will be jobs created um, from this recovery. Uh, and that's really the, the problem that they run into in Europe, and there's just, and they run out of other ways to stimulate the economy. So the only thing they can do is to, to keep lowering interest rates, even in a negative territory. Oh, it's just, it's sad. It's just so sad. So, so what do you see going on right now? What do you see kind of here we are, what, a month before the elections? Seems like there's been a decent amount of activity right now on your guys' part over the last couple of weeks, even if there's small little changes. What are you thinking about the election and not necessarily making a prediction, but just uh, anything you guys are doing up there to kind of be, you know, hedged or ready or looking for? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so something unique about our company, our philosophy, um, we are data-driven and technology-driven. So we believe very strongly that predicting markets is uh, foolish. Um, we believe all prediction in markets is actually tied into current data. So if you look at markets, and a good example is if you were to invest in Facebook or Google, that investment or in Amazon, that investment in Jeff Bezos and uh, Mark Zuckerberg isn't based on their activity now. They're based on their activity years in the future. It's really based on future growth. And, and that's why we feel strongly about looking at current data. So if you look at the current data in the last few months, um, you know, this election cycle is already priced in. So it's already priced in whether Hillary wins or um, Trump wins, et cetera. Um, you'll see a lot, there's been a lot of movement in gold prices in the last few weeks. Um, so, yes, we have had some activity. Uh, that's because markets have been more volatile the last few weeks, um, as always happens this month or two before an election. Uh, mm -hmm. We don't believe there will be any negative or huge positive result of the election. Um, you know, there's not going to be a huge amount of changes to monetary policy anytime soon. Um, you know, your, your, your listeners have to remember Monetary policy is really what's pushing the market. Um, it's really nothing else. It's all monetary policy. It's all the Federal Reserve. As long as we have a Federal Reserve determining all of those um, interest rate changes, and uh, you'll, you'll notice the market is, moves the most. If you were to trade, um, if you were a trader, just to buy before the Fed makes an announcement, uh, there's always studies that come out that are very interesting shows you how much money you would make or how much money you would lose, because that's when the markets really are moving the most. Um, and, and that's all that matters. So we don't really buy into the whole election thing. It's, it's all priced into the, the markets and um, commodity prices and, and interest rates, uh, et cetera. All right, everybody. Did you just hear what he said? So let's just a collective right now. We're going to go like this. We're going to go. Everybody just exhale. That's what this whole podcast is about. And so, as I said at the Brexit, remain rational, right? And, you know, this is a, an event, and it's not anything to get uh, – aside from whatever your political views might be, of course, and you can get all worked up about that all you want, okay? Uh, 
But from an, you know, from an investing standpoint, from a portfolio standpoint, as, as Mike said, we might have a little volatility. We will have, not might. I'm pretty sure of that, as he said, between now and the election. But you know what? <clears throat> it's noise. All right? It's noise. And so let's just everybody get focused on life and not get all sideways about who's going to get elected and what, at least when it comes to your portfolio. Okay? Yeah. So I, 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 would, uh, I would second that. that yeah. Um, it isn't like it used to be. You know, this isn't. It's not the 50s and 60s anymore. There's just everything is priced in instantaneously to the market. Yeah. Right. And this happens months and months and months before an election. Um, it, it's already priced into all assets. Um, everyone on both sides is hedged long and short. Um, so you'll never see huge movements because uh, with an election because there's already people that have priced it in both ways. Um, so we would always caution people, elections don't matter as much as um, policy, and uh, you, it takes a long time for policy to play out, possibly years. Exactly. That's right there. There is a sage comment, if there ever was one, everybody, just listen to that advice and perspective because it is so true. So stop watching MSNBC and worrying about the latest thing that comes across the thing at the bottom. Okay, it just doesn't matter. All right. So, you know, I so appreciate um, that perspective, Mike. You got, you know, this is just this has been an awesome conversation. We could talk for hours. I know we could. You know, we're we're just kindred spirits in that. I think we have a heart and a passion for doing the right thing for people um, and and kind of getting them out of, you know, traditional investing thinking that they need to consider at least that there might be a better way. Um, so I, again, yeah. uh, you know, I applaud what you guys are doing up there, man. You've been a great asset for me and for my people, and and I really do appreciate it very much. No, thank so, you so much. Sir. It's my pleasure. Yeah, so we we appreciate you being on the podcast, and uh, we'll wrap it up now. Uh, thanks much, and um, you know, I'll I'll be chatting with you soon. I'm sure. Okay. No, take care, everyone. All right. Thanks again. Take care. Um, all right, guys. So yeah, play this thing over again. Play it over and over. All right. Listen, especially if this is you've never heard this kind of stuff before. If you're not one of my clients and if this isn't something that you are used to hearing, then this just might be the time for you to consider that there might be a different way to look at this because, you know, I think it's pretty – safe to say that there's another 2008 or a 2001 or two or three in our future. And, you know, and buy and hope and head in the sand is just not going to serve you well. So anyway, I'm going to put these additional resources out there that we've been talking about, a, a link to Hedgeable. I'll put out there uh, their fact sheet. If you want to, again, look at what I've been talking about, there's a phenomenal graph on, on that a sheet that I'm going to put out there that you just look at that. Just take a look at that graph and say, which line would I rather have? Uh, it, it's just almost like a no-brainer, gang. Come on. So um, anyway, that's it for this week. Uh, important stuff this week. I appreciate you listening in and have a great week. This call has been recorded.